Hallelujah, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Even though it's been six years since I was in a church um, for Easter, those are the first words that came to my mind and my heart when Leslie asked me if I would teach today. Um, and I don't offer those words flippantly or, or mockingly. I, I mean them sincerely because they are part of a tradition of celebrating the rebirth of hope that we all feel on a day like today. And who can argue with that? Um, we could all use the reminder, even if it's not in language that resonates with us anymore, that hope springs eternal. I just got back last night um, from a few days in Florida. I still marvel at this modern world where I wake up in Florida on Saturday morning and wake up in Michigan on Sunday morning. Um, one of these little miracles that we have. Um, Andy and I were invited down there by a friend for a visit. And since the slow slog of spring was really getting to us, we readily said yes. Our friend has a winter home in Cape Coral. And to be completely honest, I was pretty much totally ignorant to the post-Hurricane Ian landscape that would greet us when we drove around Cape Coral and Fort Myers and Sanibel Island. Our friend's house was damaged in the storm, and I knew that she had been doing, thank you Facebook, um, some roof and yard repairs over the past few months. But even knowing that didn't give me a full appreciation or prepare me for the devastation that we saw. Homes were collapsed and gutted, some in the water. Blue tarps on the roofs of what seemed like every house that we drove by. There were piles of concrete rubble that used to be buildings, power boats and sailboats that were on land or tilted on their sides aground, completely battered palm trees and mangroves, dead woodlands that had been swamped by seawater, signs that were bent, broken, and blown out. And I never thought it would make me sad to see, but even entire strip malls were abandoned. Chain stores and local merchants alike seeing their livelihood and sometimes even their dreams destroyed in just one day. And then I considered the animals, if all of that wasn't enough. The pets and the strays and the marine life and birds, all who likely suffered and were displaced from their natural habitats, whether that was the cozy living room couch or a sandy beach or a thick mangrove forest. It's been six months since Ian pummeled the west coast of Florida and where we were staying sustained the worst damage from the storm. And yet, while evidence of that damage was everywhere, there were signs of hope. Rebuilding had begun, businesses were open during construction, tourists were filling the restaurants and the shops and parks and beaches were busy. And when you think about it, Ian came on the heels of pandemic recovery, when we were just starting to feel like we could look in the rearview mirror at the masks and the shutdowns. By September of 2022, we were all breathing easy again. So I invite you to take a look at your bulletin there and consider the first part of the reading that I offer from Pema Chodron from her book, When Things Fall Apart. She writes, in life, we think that the point is to pass the test or overcome the problem. The real truth is that things really don't get solved. They just come together for a time. Then they fall back apart. Then they come back together for a time and fall back apart again. It's just like that. 
We've mar largely moved on from the mood and the cloud that was the pandemic. Things fell apart for what felt like a really, really long time, about 18 months of everything being impacted by the coronavirus and its ripple effects. And we're still dealing with the fallout. But most of what fell apart on a societal level has started to come back together. Before that, the election of former president and current defendant, Donald Trump, caused all sorts of things to fall apart. And we're still picking up the pieces. And the coming together is happening in fits and starts, one step forward, two steps back, kind of like spring in Michigan. Death and resurrection, more death, more resurrection. What I saw in Cape Coral, what we've all experienced over the past six years, is both death and resurrection happening at the same time. And that's how it often is. Death and birth over and over. It's a constant cycle. And that's why even though most of the people here in this room might not observe Easter with the same Christian intent as others, we all probably still feel that pull. Maybe even we feel those words of Alleluia. We, we know what Easter symbolizes. And that just when we thought that all hope was lost and maybe even suffered some of the dark days, darkest days of our lives, when it felt like the boulder was blocking the way to the tomb so that we couldn't even grieve properly, we still experience glimpses of light. Something comes along that inspires us, breathes into and through us, and brings us back to life. It might be a hug from a friend. It might be a song that brings back happy memories might be coming to talk back, or pre-talk, or coming here on Sunday morning, or a smile from a child or a stranger. Those little inspirations are like the boulder rolling back from the tomb and letting the spirit free to re-enter our hearts and minds. The friend that we visited, Susan, shared that when she went back to her Florida home for the first winter after her husband died, a burrowing owl camped out in a tree in her front yard and stayed there for months. And yes, there are plenty of owls. She took me to see some of them around the neighborhood. They even have signs, and the, na the neighborhood has named them. I saw Romeo and Juliet, for instance. Um, there are plenty of them in the neighborhoods, but they stay in open fields so that they can watch for predators and build their nests in the ground. After all, they're called burrowing owls. They don't hang out in trees for months on end. So it's interesting to think of that owl as a sign of rebirth, her husband coming back in a different form and watching over her during her first winter without him. Things fell apart for her, and they're coming back together. When we try for resolution or closure, we're never truly going to get it. What we experience is more of a recalibration of our relationship with whatever was lost. That's the rebirth. We shift how we see ourselves in relation to the other and move through with a new perspective. And beyond Easter, there's something about that cycle and of death and rebirth that is vitally important to us. We have it embedded in so many of our rituals. New Year's celebrations are out with the old, in with the new. Christmas brings about us out of darkness and into light. Baptisms have a component of rebirth as an infant or an adult is welcomed into a new church family and sometimes considered born again. There's always something about a baptism that makes me cry every single time. 
I think it's maybe that hope and the feeling that this person has made some sort of transition, if not from death to life, at least from maybe being asleep or alone to being awake and surrounded by love. And Easter, of course, is about literal death and symbolic resurrection. There are those who believe that it is a literal bodily resurrection, of course, but I prefer to think of it as a spiritual rebirth where the disciples and friends of Jesus found themselves transformed by his death and realized that without him, they were now being called to continue his message of peace and love and caring for the poor and the marginalized and welcoming the stranger. They had to recalibrate their relationship to Jesus and one another to fill the vacuum that was left in his absence. And they took a yes and approach. Yes, he was dead and we grieve that. And more important than his physical body was his spiritual message of hope, love, and charity. That's what needed to live on, no matter the consequences. And maybe there's something about honoring resurrection going on in Florida that causes people to rebuild rather than to clean up the mess and move elsewhere. Death taps into our resilience and reaffirms our will to live. We become determined, stubborn even, and we won't be defeated. People have a strong drive to stay alive, and not just to stay alive, but to thrive and to have a meaningful life. Otherwise, I wouldn't hear so many people I coach respond to the question, what's most important to you, with, I want to make a difference in the world. We all feel like we have important work to do. And rebirth is evidence of our resilience. It's part of our personal and collective story that things fall apart and come back together. We are always in that cycle of breakdown, breakthrough. And this came up in pre-talk. Um, it's virtually impossible to have a breakthrough unless we've had a breakdown, a deconstruction of whatever we thought was solid and true and forever. A breakthrough means we've broken through something, and that something is usually grief or pain or fear. And a breakthrough doesn't necessarily mean like this big aha moment or triumph. Um, it's not necessarily about happiness and peace and butterflies and unicorns. It might just be survival or acceptance or recovery or releasing control of something. Look at how much the conversation around race and social justice has evolved over the past six years. After a series of major breakdowns, we've started to experience some breakthroughs. I wouldn't call them major yet, but the conditions are friendlier to that kind of breakthrough. And I remember thinking about six months into Trump's presidency, that if Hillary Clinton had been elected, yes, I would have slept much better at night, but no we would not be having these very important conversations and confronting the demons that had been lurking in the shadows. We were overdue for a true reckoning, and we did, probably didn't even really know it. And it's been painful, and maybe more than a few of us have had breakdowns. But it had to happen if we were going to come to a healthier place. Not that I wish that it had happened, but it had to happen. My hope is that we get to come back together in a state sooner rather than later, and it will happen when it's meant to happen. Just as we can't predict breakdowns, we can't force breakthroughs. There's a saying, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Perhaps in 2016, the students, that being society at large, 
were ready and our teachers appeared. We didn't like those teachers, but they showed up. To say we were ready might not quite sound right because I think most of us were angry and confused. We were ready for the first female president, not a societal reckoning. But if not then, when? We were ready. We had to be. As Dick said, we had to be in our pre-talk. We had to be overwhelmed in order for something to shift. And as I'm talking about those two things, those are two topics that we're really completely sick of talking about, Trump and the pandemic. Yet both were breakdowns necessary for those breakthroughs, if only we can learn from the lessons. To continue on with the Easter story, we can't just leave the boulder in front of the tomb and hope that the grief goes away. We have to get in there and we have to move it to let in the light and see what is inspired, what's resurrected. And here's the second part of the passage that's in your bulletin from When Things Fall Apart. Personal discovery and growth come from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, room for relief, for misery, for joy. Let the hard things in life break you. Let them affect you. Let them change you. Let this pain be your teacher. The experiences of your life are trying to tell you something about yourself. Don't cop out on that. Don't run away and hide under the covers. Lean into it. What she writes describes what is required for breakthrough to happen. We have to feel all the feels. I think this is an essential part of life. And the more that we lean into the grief and the relief, the misery and the joy, the richer our lives are going to be. As we heard time and time again from Kent and other teachers, to appreciate the light, we need the darkness. And that brings me to a point of what Pema Chodron writes that I feel a little bit of tension with when she says, don't run away and hide under the covers. Sometimes I need to do exactly that. It's part of my breakdown. It's where I get to have that personal pity party and get it out of my system. Sometimes we need to run away and detach a little bit so we can get some distance and consider the situation from a different angle after we have drained ourselves of our tears. And from this place, we can start to remember. We can start to put the pieces back together again. And we are partners in this. We co-create this breakthrough. We facilitate it. It doesn't just happen much as we wish that it might. In this place, we are reminded of truths that we had forgotten. And we can live into Anne Lamott's wise words. I am all of the ages I've ever been. Through the breakdown, breakthrough, remembering cycle, we get back in touch with the experiences that have shaped us, all the ages, including the good, the bad, and the ugly. Just reflecting on what I wanted to share this morning in this talk, I thought about numerous breakdown breakthroughs who have shaped who I am, and I will spare you of them. Um, but I know I have many, you have many, and without them, I would have been in a state of arrested development, and any of us would be if we had been able to skip that tough stuff. And all of this thinking about breakdowns and breakthroughs led me to this famous verse from Leonard Cohen and his song, Anthem. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets hit. 
An unverified transcript of Cohen explaining this verse was posted in a fan forum. And whether these are his exact words or not, they still offer a message for hope um, for us on this Easter Sunday. He said, the future about these words, the future is no excuse for an abdication of your own personal responsibilities towards yourself and your job and your love. Ring the bells that can still ring. They're few and far between, but you can find them. Forget your perfect offering. That's the hang up, that you're gonna work this thing out because we confuse this idea and we've forgotten the central myth of our culture, which is the expulsion from the Garden of Eden. The situation does not admit of solution or of perfection. This is not the place where you make things perfect, neither in your marriage, nor in your work, nor anything, nor your love of God, nor your love of family or country. The thing is imperfect. And worse, there is a crack in everything that you can put together, physical objects, mental objects, constructions of any kind. And that's where the light gets in. And that's where the resurrection is, and that's where the return, that's where the repentance is. It is with the confrontation, with the brokenness of things. In many ways, spring and Easter feel like the real new year, bringing with them an energy of renewal and a spirit of rebirth. I personally feel something new stirring and wanting to be brought into the light. And I want to make room for all of that to happen, even as I know that there will be bumps in the road and cracks in the foundation. But I welcome those bumps and those cracks, the confrontations and the brokenness of things. They are how I know I'm on the right path. So let's close just hearing those beautiful words of anthem once again. And I invite you to take a few minutes, meditate on these, really let them sink in in the coming week. Ring the bells that can still ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. <laughs>